All right. And we are live. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to High Spirits Live. I'm Ben. And I'm Anna Ray. Hello. And that was a lot smoother than the last time. Uh, you're all our, our, our guinea pigs for our, our second round of this live broadcast. Um, so bear with us. But I mean, Anna Ray, I, I think we have incrementally improved. Yay. So glad to be doing this. And hopefully everyone is going to enjoy our conversation today. Excellent. All right. Well, I since since it's our second time, and I don't even know if, if anyone got to see the first time. Why are we here? What are we doing? Um, why are, why are we here live on LinkedIn? Yeah. So Ben and I have been having weekly conversations to make sense of the cannabis industry, the landscape, the news, the players, everyone that is all up in our shit. And um We've been having these private conversations for almost a year and we keep thinking, wow, there's such great content here. We should be bringing people in and letting people into this conversation and sharing it out into the world. So that's what we're doing. We're uh, building some content for all of you guys to hopefully create something that's relevant and interesting and useful. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so if you want to get involved in you can leave comments. You can reach out to us directly. Uh, in future airings, we'll bring other people on and, and talk about certain topics. Um, but before we jump in today, uh, we have a nice juicy topic to sink our teeth into. Anne Ray, how's your week? <laughs> it's been good. It has been good. Memorial Day weekend was fun. I got out on Lake Sonoma with my son and my husband and um, just really enjoying Northern California season changing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's we're a little bit behind in in California this year. It's uh, the sun's now coming out and it's warming up a little bit. Um, it took a little bit. The the snow was still falling in the mountains a few weeks back. I know uh, it's wild. The ski resorts are still open, but we've got green hillsides in Northern California, which is where I am. How about you? What? How was your Memorial Day? It was good. It was good. We we kicked off the weekend. Um, the team and I at Vertosa did a, did a little bit of a, a community service event and went, went and cleaned up the, the waterfront uh, in Berkeley. And so that was just a nice way to like kind of first realize how dirty we can be as human beings and, and that we need to do our part. Um, but just a nice way to kind of kick off Memorial Day. And I know it's not service in the grand aspect that we're, what we're celebrating with Memorial Day, but it's a little piece of what we can do to sacrificed our time and, and help improve the community a little bit. Um, other than that, you know, try to relax. And, and, you know, my version of relaxing is doing an insane amount of yard work and getting into the week more sore. <laughs> getting into the weeds, <laughs> like what we're going to do today, right? Exactly, exactly. Exactly. So, so let's get into the weeds. Absolutely. Well, so a couple weeks ago, Green Market Report put out an article and the headline was MSO's Bogart Market Share. And the article was highlighting data that BDSA had just put out that the top five vertically integrated companies in the U.S. own 19% of the market across the regions that BDSA tracks, I should mm -hmm. know, which isn't all of them, but most. Yeah. And that's a lot for five brands, five companies, considering that they track 2,740 brands. So what that's saying is that less than 1% of the brands control close to 20% of the market. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, is that, right. Is, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I I, I know MSOs have kind of earn this reputation of being the big bad wolf in the industry. Um, and in some instances, that's correct. Hopefully I'm not, you know, not, not always true. I don't know who I'm, if I'm talking about anyone in particular, but, um, you know, I know for a lot of licensed local companies, uh, they're perceived as being, yeah, like I said, the big bad wolf coming in and, and undercutting on prices, selling terrible mids or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and muscling people out of the industry, or even lobbying against the interests of, of the local community and, and protecting, you know, limited licensor and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for starters, I guess, baseline, yeah, a lot of that's true. Um, but on the other hand, maybe all this consolidation isn't all that bad. Yeah, I mean, I think backing up a little bit, trying to Instead of saying, is it good or bad? I think what it points to is that there is actual market concentration going on in cannabis, which is something that is normal in most industries. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it also points to the fact that vertical integration, which all of these top five companies have, does provide real benefit and access to retail shelves and ultimately access to consumers. So I think that those are important things just to put on the table as part of this. Um, And I think also it just helps us to start to predict the future and Mm -hmm. to see the maturation of cannabis maturing as an industry in similar ways that other consumer industries have. Uh, And and I think it, it makes sense for cannabis companies to be acknowledging the reality of the consolidation that is happening in front of us and also starting to think about how we play into that. Um, But why don't we talk about some of these other traditional industries and the history of, of consolidation and what it looks like? Sure. Sure. Should we start really broadly? Um, Yeah. Like CPG in general, consumer Mm -hmm. packaged goods Um, here. Let me bring up this slide. Um, So consolidation is a thing. And whether you know it or not, you know, it's like there are 10 brands that very much rule the world that 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 we consume. And this is largely known for for anyone in the space. But it's like, yes, your favorite brands are but a very small subsect of of these much larger CPG companies. And and while, you know, we might not think of GTI or or Cresco as one of like Danone yet or Unilever, um, they may someday grow into that. And, and this seems to be the very beginning, right? We still very much think of those as, as those cannabis companies as, as single entities, but they are starting to bring together these brands that you will see, see on store shelves where you might not know that if they're a part of this larger umbrella or not when you're, when you're first interacting with them. Um, we can drill down into kind of what this means for, for part, part pie chart. I, I, I picked this one because Constellation brands, especially in the cannabis beverage world, like holds a, a re- very significant resonance because, you know, back in 2017, they invested $4 billion into uh, canopy growth. And that fueled a lot of canopies, you know, future endeavors and, and now has a transition and a new executive board. But I mean, Constellation brands on this chart is one of the smallest pie wedges. It's 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 less than two percent in comparison to Nestle and Procter and Gamble, AB InBev. And so, if we think about 
how intimidating it was for Constellation to come into the industry. I mean, just imagine what it's going to what's going to do when all these other like major conglomerates start start coming in. So it's it's almost as if like we need this this maturation of the market to happen. So we have various tiers um, to create buffers in between us and the extremely large companies. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think it's interesting, too, as when we were prepping for this conversation, we were talking about natural foods and organic. Mm -hmm. And um, many of these large CPG companies have over the years invested in natural food brands. And instead of the large umbrella company um, being fully dedicated to natural foods, the CPG companies are seeing natural foods as a certain segment within their portfolio. Um, just like they're also seeing something like, like energy drinks and energy products as a different segment. And, and these companies, as they grow, they have to segment so deep in order to find different unique consumer bases, um, in all these different categories. And, and as, as cannabis is becoming more mature, we're starting to see companies understand the need to, to lean into these special unique audiences and segments. So I'm, I'm excited to see those, those niche products and, and niche marketing, um, techniques unfold in our space, yeah. um, whether or not it means that consolidation is inevitable, I think is a different question. Um, well, so, so there's, a, there, there's, is, is good. I, I feel that consolidation is often used in a negative connotation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like right now, because of the terrible economic conditions that the market has been under, like we've all been under a consolidation phase, right? Like I, I've heard that a lot, but another word for consolidation is acquisition. And, for someone that runs a venture back company um, and has worked with many other venture back companies, like acquisition is a is a end goal sometimes, many times, right? And it's so it's an like exit the, strategy, yeah, yeah. It's like an exit strategy. Like <laughs> it's okay. Like we don't all have to be running our our companies in perpetuity forever. Like sometime someday we want to retire, and acquisition to a, a larger company where you've created value that that they see, like is 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 a really strong opportunity. And and um, we had prepared a slide actually for um, for highlighting some of the brands under Cresco and Green Thumb, and mm-hmm. I'm just looking at a couple. There's actually, I mean, Bebo, right? That was a that was a California like pastilles brand that that got acquired by by Green Thumb. Um, yep. Same with Florical in the Cresco portfolio as a California brand that was acquired. Yeah, so it's like interesting strategy here. Like uh, I, I look at these, and there's some recognizable brands. I don't even know if I, you know. For instance, dog walkers. I didn't know that was a, a GTI company, right? And so they're already entering into the space where they're creating a, a house of brands where you might not know that they're associated with these these larger companies. But for for GTI, it's giving them access to a consumer segment that a startup company otherwise, you know, went and and built and and figured out how to market to. Well, I believe that some of the the fear and negativity around consolidation in cannabis has a lot to do with the roots of of where we all came from, and that, with the exception of a few large companies, almost every company in cannabis could be considered a startup. And sure. um, yeah. when you're a startup, it's it's easy to have a chip on your shoulders, a feeling like you're the little guy and that you've got a lot to prove, um, and also. With with a startup atmosphere, you also are playing into a sort of craft, independent legacy 
um, perspective mm-hmm. that a lot of companies, that's how they started. Maybe they came from the legacy market or, or they're, or they came from a, um, a, a really deep passion that they wanted to change the world with their love of cannabis. Yeah. And, and there's this undercurrent that, that selling even being acquired or rolling up with a larger company, um, is selling out or is losing your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly could be, but I think that there's also lots of examples of when being acquired, um, meaning consolidation, really like a, a partnership. Sometimes it's a coming together of equals and sometimes it's it's a larger company bringing in a smaller company into their portfolio can create um, operational efficiencies, can make it so that people can actually continue to succeed and exist in this market. I mean, we are in a place in cannabis right now where there are a lot of distressed companies and a lot of companies that have been losing money for quarter after quarter after quarter. Mm -hmm. And if there's a way for groups to come together so that they can continue to do the good work that they're doing, I think that it's something that's important for companies to consider and to think about and how that fits into their strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, being born out of the the California industry here, it's like the, the industry necessitates that you find ways to quote unquote, improve your business, you know, and whether that means growing your customer base or building more efficiency into your business. And, you know, in, in normal capitalism and, and especially venture back companies, like there's this phrase that it's like, you're either growing or you're dying. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I don't know if we have to be so draconian about that phrase and, and apply it to everything, but you know, knowing that in 2015 that that distillate cost for us as a company was somewhere between the nine and twelve thousand dollars a liter, and you know that dropping below a thousand dollars a liter by the beginning of this year, and all of a sudden rebounding to like you know twenty five hundred or three thousand. It's I mean just that that volatility of the market independent of competition and big players coming in really requires this like perpetual refinement of the business. And sometimes the only way to do that, if you built like a hyper local brand and that's where your, your strength is like being able to go out and market that and take it to the next level with a quote unquote, you know, big brother or sister. Right. Um, also like on the flip side of the coin, you have the acquiring entity where they start to build their brand and reputation around how they acquire, like how much autonomy they give companies. Like, will you be able to keep your management team and operate that you want the way you want and just leverage the efficiencies of having a consolidated back office or, you know, procurement team so that they're buying in bulk and driving down the, those input costs. Um, so th- there's a lot of reasons that small companies will eventually want to drive to that because yeah, it becomes really hard to compete, but it's not just the MSOs, so to speak, that are going to be driving that that direction. Yeah, I'm I'm working on a potential deal right now with uh, a company that is potentially in in the midst of thinking about becoming acquired by another company, and and it really is a 
a coming together because there's something to benefit on both sides. The, mm -hmm. the acquirer wants to be able to move into a new category and doesn't want to have to build it from the ground up, wants to immediately be able to bring revenue into their business. They also are interested in acquiring talent um, to be able to create this new category of products. Mm -hmm. And similarly, the, the company that would be acquired in this scenario is just tired of going at it alone and realizes that by having um, a more mature management team and other players at the table with them, they are going to have a better chance of being able to compete, being able to negotiate larger supply agreements, all types of things that make it for um, for this for the soul of the brand to actually be able to continue on um, as opposed to to not being able to compete in a really complicated marketplace. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's really it kind of goes into this concept of of what you were talking about, Ben, of of how these how these massive houses of brands form, and mm -hmm. there's two paths. They can be built um, internally by the company that is deciding and acknowledging that there's a new category that they want to be in or a new audience that they want to serve, and that they build a new brand and a new product right. line. But then what we're talking about with consolidation is buying. Mm -hmm. And what buying is, is acquisition. That's M&A. And, um, and when a company is being acquired, you know, they're acquiring not only revenue, but they're acquiring IP, they're acquiring talent, they could be acquiring operational efficiencies, scale, all these types of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but with that, I will just put a note because I've been a part of lots of integration processes is that <laughs> when you do do a consolidation and an acquisition, um, the integration is really where, where it gets important to, to see these operational efficiencies uh, come to reality. Because if mm -hmm. integration isn't done well, lots of things can get lost in the process. And you can also see um, inefficiency be created. And I do want to note that while these, um, these titans, as we called them in our headline, that own the 20% of the market, uh, many of them still, while being large, are not profitable. And so part of the consolidation strategy there has been to grow their top line by bringing in more brands that could bring in revenue in hopes of bringing in efficiency. And what we've seen with some of these MSOs is that it actually hasn't created the efficiency that they had anticipated that it would. Yeah. Um, I think a good example of that is what happened with the True Leave Harvest um, mm -hmm. acquisition and how it actually really changed the financial performance of Trulieve um, in a negative way because of inefficiencies that were created when they did that acquisition. Yeah, well, integration is is such a critical component of, of these acquisitions, right? Like I've seen even the most experienced companies in the mainstream market, you know, McCormick uh, acquiring Fono, which is a company I'm relatively close with in the ingredient space, like that process taking a very in-depth year-long process to kind of align teams, integrate, build culture and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of work that goes in on the front end to make sure that's all all aligned. And even then it's still a crapshoot when you get to the finish line and you really have to make sure that it's worth it for you. And like maybe the financial driver is the biggest piece of it. And mm -hmm. you're, you, you've decided that you're okay with your dream dying a little bit and living on with someone else. Not saying that's always the case, but I will say that I don't think any of these large MSOs yet have gotten to the place where you can say that they've done a really great job at integrating 
various brands and cultures, right? It's been yeah. kind of like a bull in a china cabinet. Yeah, there's there is not a an example that I can point to that I'm like, oh yeah, that company is killer at brand consolidation and rolling up in the perfect way. I think that we have a lot of work to do, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm aware of a dozen different conversations that are going on that are non-public about different types of acquisitions that people are looking at. Um, as I'm talking with investors, people are talking about doing distressed asset plays of of going out and purchasing a lot of different brands that are distressed and rolling them up into a brand new house of brands. There's all kinds of of things that people are thinking about of how we can maintain a, um, a lively environment with many brands that serve consumers, but in a way that creates efficiency for those brands to exist. And, and yeah. having some type of consolidation mechanism is certainly one way to do it. Yeah. Um, well, so this 20% of the cannabis market owned by five companies, yeah. um, as we look at CPG, that might sound like a lot to us, but at the same time, we were looking at beer as we were leading mm-hmm. into this conversation and in beer, it actually looks a lot more like it is 80% of the market that is right. owned by the top companies. And it's more like the top nine to 10 companies own 80% mm-hmm. of the market. And on the screen is the U S market share of brewers. Um, but the global environment looks similar as well. And, and then you've got an independent group of thousands of other companies. That thousands. make it just 20%. Yeah. So yeah, I think I saw a number somewhere. It's like, there are call it 19 to 20,000 brewers around the world. And so what is that? eight or seven yeah controlling more than 20 or more than 80 percent like that's point zero zero i don't know how many zeros (laughs) it's less than one percent so um yeah maybe we have a long ways to go and and just kind of tangential to to brewers is is distributors and people have generally heard of like southern glazer and then unless you're in the biz, like probably no one else when it comes to alcohol distribution. And that's because they're, you know, four or five times larger than even the number two. And then it's just the power curve from there. So very common, same in retail, right? Like Walmart is twice the size of, of Amazon or it's, I I don't know if that number is still accurate. And, and in our research, we also saw that Walmart is larger than all independent grocers combined um, yeah. in the U.S. by a third, and so there is consolidation in in industry. And as a young, um, immature, and still growing and shifting and changing industry, I think that there is a hypothesis that's worth considering that there's an element of consolidation that is inevitable, and that's yeah. that's what we're staring down at in cannabis. Interestingly, states like New York have certainly done a lot as they've created their regulatory and, and legal environments to try mm-hmm. to get in the way of it. Yeah, uh, I don't think that they're going to be able to stop it. I think that they still could be successful at creating an ecosystem of many independent companies. But, but, but in the long run, when we see federal policy change and, and we see true large-scale industry data, we're still going to see this consolidation at, at the top um, of a few companies, even yeah. if New York tries to to stop it and get yeah. in the way. Absolutely. It, it reminds me, like, you remember that 
you see that like motion graphics someone created at one point where it shows like web browsers over time and like you had like oh, Alta, Alta Vista and Netscape and they're all surging ahead and all of a sudden like Google pops on the map and you know it's like there's Yahoo or is that how people say it? I don't know. Um, and like it just like the, the map's like fluctuating over time and all of a sudden like Google fires up from behind and like takes over. But it's maybe the the MSO, so to speak, or the large brand then that rules the cannabis markets. Maybe it doesn't even exist yet, or maybe it's not even on this top five map. So I think there's a lot to change. But in summary, I, I just think it's it's not something that for us to be totally afraid of. I, I think it provides a dynamic to the to the market that does provide exit opportunities. Um, and, you know, there there's a definite need, especially right now, in, in kind of some resilience to the fluctuations in the supply chain, like the ability to have consistent cogs is, is a really important piece of, of being a brand. And if you're flying solo, you're certainly left uh, up to, well, the devices of the industry, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that what that means then for leaders who are running cannabis companies is that you need to decide if you want to be a consolidator yourself or if you want to be a target for acquisition or if you're dead set on your own independence, which is something you certainly could decide. Mm -hmm. um, but if you aren't dead set on independence, then it's important to build expertise in M&A and in partnerships. And, and what that means is keeping good track of your business, understanding your fundamentals, having good infrastructure um, that makes it so that you can be nimble when opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I'm really excited to see some exciting house of brands form that are strategic and interesting in terms of the, the product portfolio that they offer and how they can touch on many different audiences and create portfolios that can be really impactful um, across broad swaths of people. And I think it can give us um, the ability to be more innovative as well. Product innovation is something that's really expensive. And when companies are able to reach certain levels of scale, it's something that can become a little bit more uh, easily metabolizable into their financial mechanisms. And so innovation is going to serve all consumers and also not just in product categories, but also in price and make cannabis more accessible. So all these yeah. things will just be able to, to create more opportunities in the industry, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a fun topic. I appreciate uh, you joining me this afternoon. Um, and anyone that's watching, let us know what you think. Drop a, drop a comment below. Um, and it'll help guide us in, in episodes to come. So let us know who you want to come on. If you want to come on yourself, just uh, raise your hand and, and we'll, we'll come up with a topic to discuss. Anna Ray, any, any parting thoughts uh, for our audience? Yeah, this has been fun and we want to keep having more impactful conversations. So hit both of us up um, here on LinkedIn and, and uh, let's, let's keep having conversations. If there's something that you, that you really want to learn about, let us know. All right. Oh, and we got Claudia uh, shouting us out on the, on the comments. So thanks oh, to be, for, nice for being our, our, our audience member, Claudia. <laughs> um, all right. We'll catch you all next week. Bye.